Hey folks, on this episode of The Prior Transformation, it's a bit of a deviation from the typical format. Uh, I sit down and interview a friend of mine named Chelsea Kentz, who's a wonderful entrepreneur that uh, bootstrapped a company uh, called Scratch a few years ago. Uh, and uh, she'll tell you more about that, I'm sure, during the, uh, the, during the podcast. But uh, we um, talk about entrepreneurship and reality and life and a lot, a lot of great things. So uh, it's a really great conversation. I uh, just want to let you know that the uh, the intro is kind of abrupt. Uh, there really is no intro on this one. Um, it's because uh, when we sat down, I I started the mic, and you know I, that's typically what I do. And I um, started recording, and the conversation just got really good. So rather than chopping that off and trying to rearrange and, and do kind of weird things, I, I decided to to kind of just drop that in raw and edit it. So hope you guys enjoyed. Welcome to the Prior Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Smoots. In this podcast, we explore, you know, actually, there's no we, it's just I. I'm the only person here. And really, I just ramble for two or three minutes uh, on a technology or business topic. And occasionally, I'll interview some smart folks. If you like that kind of thing, enjoy. Company-wise, so... Right now, so you're not doing uh, Scratch anymore, right? No, I just um, sold Scratch, so kind of in between. I'm in that in-between state that nobody wants to talk about, (laughs) you know, or nobody wants to label. I just had a a conversation recently about that where it's, you know, you're more available for new opportunities and you're more fresh even. Like when you're in that in-between state, you're like getting ready to do something new, but Anytime you express that to someone, it's almost like, oh, do you need something? Do you want something? Versus I can offer a lot, right? Yeah. So what do you like? What are you interested in doing? Like any, we talked about some stuff that you were doing before, but is there any particular project that you're interested in? What I'm giving myself space for now is kind of like readjusting and rethinking um, the way that I'm approaching everything. So with Scratch, what I did, and you know, we talked a little bit about it, but uh, with Scratch, what I did was um, focus on this big end goal. Like I have to get to, I have to convert this company into this billion dollar X that I need to raise money. I need to head in this direction. Um, that was the idea of any successful company that I had in my mind was that venture capital you know, sell for a billion plus <laughs> is the way that you make a successful company. So many. Right. <laughs> so when I started Scratch, I started I started it because I could start it with my own resources and I could bootstrap it. And that was important to me to learn, you know, from the ground up how to build a business. And I, what I learned with Scratch was how to build a small business and how to actually understand <laughs> like making profit and, and and building something that could sustain itself um, without funding up front. Uh, Pro- is, profitable business yeah. in, in this day and age? Right. Trying E-commerce? To, wow. Trying to revolutionary. Learn that, you know, <laughs> trying to get to get to that space first. Uh, and what I learned through going through this process and, and as I've been working, you know, in the last seven years or so with other um with other companies, I've worked with a lot of different startups, like from the, you know, one of the first employees kind of helping, helping grow. Um, and that's what I was doing with Launchpad uh, when I was there with some of the companies that were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I was learning from, uh, from those experiences is just essentially, uh, if you start out with, um, you start out with all this money and you have the, your perspective of this big goal that you're supposed to get to sometimes you miss like the opportunity of like real businesses in the middle because in order to be successful you have to hit these these future future thoughts of you know how do we get to this market size and, and instead of solving maybe for smaller markets that really need solutions uh you know in, in the in that mean you know meantime so what so what was scratch um just so people kind of understand. Yeah, yeah. So Scratch was a um, as a cosmetics company for specifically nail art um, as a starting point. And so we worked, we collaborated with artists every month to design um, different nail wraps, which essentially are like a sticker that you put on your nail, uh, but they're made out of nail polish. 
And so I had a subscription box that I did that was uh, successful at scale. <laughs> um, and that was like essentially a monthly DIY Manny box. That's what we called it. Manny box. Yeah, scratch me. <laughs> monthly Manny box. The monthly Manny box. Yeah. And then you, and then you sold it. Um, what made you want to sell it and move on to the next thing? Was it an offer you couldn't refuse? Was it just no. one? Yeah. You know, I went through a few offers that I couldn't refuse that I decided to refuse. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, was, there were two uh, offers that were kind of on the table um, that were for a lot more money, but also uh, heading me kind of in a direction I didn't necessarily want to go. Um, I wanted essentially the most important thing for me at that time was that it could live on in the right way and that I um, would have enough time and freedom to start working and thinking on what do I want to do next. Um, you know, I initially was attracted to starting scratch from the for business reasons of, okay, here's an opportunity. Um, I'm not, you know, I've never been super into beauty itself. And so I realized where this small business belongs is in the hands of someone that's in love with, you know, the, the beauty industry and someone that's in <laughs> love with, with uh, nail art. And that person was who I ended up selling it to. So for that deal wasn't um, nearly as much money as if I would have gone to one of the, the bigger deals, but I would have been staying, you know, essentially like an aqua hire to staying in that industry for a lot longer. So, so the company like lives on basically. Right. Uh, through, and it was a, was an employee. I think, I think it's what you told uh, me. She's a, someone that worked with us. Um, she's a nail artist that lives in Boston. Okay. Yeah. So That's she's awesome. designed, she designed some of our most popular um, nail wraps for us. And so I knew like her heart was in the right place and she's in the industry. And if it was going to go to anybody that would take it forward in the right way, I figured it's her. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, so why, uh, why entrepreneurship? You know, why not? Why not work, get a job at Raytheon or IBM oh. or one of the big companies and be comfortable and that kind of thing? Because oh, that's not comfortable. <laughs> that's the <laughs> opposite of comfortable for me. Okay. Um, and I'm sure it is for most entrepreneurs, which is the whole reason why we keep doing this to ourselves. Because <laughs> <laughs> it definitely makes sense to just, you know, I'll just get a job, get paid really well and, and just go perform your tasks, duties and go home, right? Um, but for me, the drive is never in money which is for me the drive has always been in the way that i spend my day and my time so time to me is the most valuable thing and um yeah i've enjoyed working with you know in the past i've worked at different studios and i've worked with different startups that i've enjoyed you know working with but um there's something about continuously being challenged and ha having something you've never seen that you have to solve being put in your face and often I find, you know, a nice, comfy, full-time job doesn't really allow as many challenges because you essentially just have to perform really well in one spot. And for me, that's just, I, I can't do it every day. <laughs> the same thing. So how did you how did you come to this realization about time? I think, I think it's really interesting. Uh, maybe we'll kind of pull that thread a little bit just to get a feel for how you think about time and, and how that's really valuable to you. Because I think a lot of people uh, undervalue their time, you know, they think, you know, maybe I'll just do something myself or they'll, they'll think, you know, Oh, I can, you know, do stuff on the nights and weekends or whatever. Right. Um, well, what made you think this way? Too burned out when it, when in the reality, when it comes <laughs> down to is, Oh yeah, I can just do nights or weekends and, and you burn out pretty quick. Um, uh, so time to me has always been something that I think that is way, way more valuable than money. And obviously the, the best case scenario is the highest ratio money for the, the least amount of time in anything that you're working on. So that you have time to do everything that you're you know wanting to do. Um, but essentially the way that I came to this for myself is in recognizing, you know, recognizing death as silly as that sounds or as serious as that sounds, like understanding that, I am not sure how long I'm going to live and we, none of us really are. And so while I'm participating here for as long as I get to, what do I want to feel the most in my life? And the feeling that I want to feel the most is challenged, happy. Um, I want to be around people that I love. And for me, 
time is a huge part of accomplishing those things. If I'm saying I'm just going to go do this for this amount of time and then I have my weekends or I have my nights, um, even though I'm not enjoying what I'm doing presently, uh, that to me is not a, a good enough ratio. The money is not worth it to me, uh, if that you know makes sense. <laughs> okay. And then it, was there something that happened in your life that made you think this or was this just, you know, an epiphany that you came on or how did you, how did you, how did you figure this out? Because I think it's something that is almost counterintuitive. I think, uh, I think most people don't think about it this way at all. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think it's a in huge part, just the way that I was raised and then the experiences that I've had throughout life. Like, like most things that we come to, it's a collection of, um, it's a collection of all of our experience. Right. So, I was raised in a family. My father had two businesses. Um, so I was raised in a family that was focused around self-employment. So my, my father, uh, had, and, and mother had an ice cream parlor in a movie theater. And so I worked from age eight or so with them. Uh, I'd clean up theater after, you know, the theater after everybody was out from a movie and I'd, uh, pour sodas and that was the first job that I did so and I was on a stool pouring sodas and um, you know my dad actually made it fun the environment was always fun and he always enjoyed the work that he did and he loved he was passionate about his businesses and I saw that as his happiness and when I uh, went to school and kind of you know, started to explore what is it that I'm interested in doing. Um, my mom and my dad have always, you know, um, they've always pushed me towards, well, what do you, what makes you the happiest? What are you going to, how, how will you enjoy your life the most? Um, and my mom has always been a big traveler too. So she, she always pushed me to travel, to explore that way. And so halfway through college, I went to, um, I moved to Germany for a year and I traveled pretty much every chance I could. I worked at a hotel and then I traveled, um, while I was there and the experiences that I had and, and the, some of the trips that I made just kind of gave me an appreciation for time because here's this ratio of if I work this much, then I can take these many days off and enjoy this. And, and then I, um, I think I just realized that if I'm just doing the things that I enjoy doing the most every day, a, that can be considered work and you can make money from that, uh, and, and B, then it's like you're never, you know, working a day in your life, that saying, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's awesome. And you said, um, so you said your, bad, your dad was very passionate about his business, right? Um, for you, like, where, do, where does passion come from? Like when it, when it comes to business, is it, it, it do you, you, you know, have like a certain few things that you're interested, that you're really passionate about and, you pursue or do you like you have an idea and you get deeply invested in that or like how does that work uh with you know with them yeah you know i've always i've heard so much from so many people that like oh don't start a business unless you're really passionate about you know that business or the idea or like the space um and you know i've never been that passionate about any specific thing which (laughs) totally makes me feel like okay maybe i shouldn't be making a business in any industry but then i realized what my real where my real passions are is just literally in the 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 creation the idea whatever it is in, in almost any industry the idea solving it so actually you know treating it like it's like a formula something that i need to solve and then create um and then executing it so it's almost like the harder the challenge or the industry is like further away from what I understand presently, the more exciting it is because I get to learn everything in that space, which is totally new to me. And then try to, to come up with solutions that often, you know, if I'm from the outside, I might actually be able to apply new ideas, um, to, uh, so yeah, it's my passion is just in the process, not in the, any specific space. If that. No, I mean, it actually makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I, I always say uh, that entrepreneurship is is really more about exploration. It's like we're we're journeying inward and discovering like things about the mind and reality that we didn't necessarily understand before. Uh, and you know, the the kind of person who I, who I feel is a great entrepreneur is somebody who loves that journey more than 
you know, the outcome or any particular facet of it, you know, right. it's kind of like, like Lewis and Clark, you know, they weren't like, Oh man, I really love Oregon. It was, or they may have said that, but they just love to explore, you know, right. um, Shackleton loved to explore. He got him, you know, stuck on an iceberg, but you know, um, I just, I think that makes a ton of sense, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's, I think it's a really great way of thinking about things. So yeah, it's, yeah. uh, well, it's, it's a fun way I think to approach, life in general um or it's something that a fun way that i like to approach life um just because ultimately i just think that there are all of these different realities happening at the same time i think we talked about that yeah briefly yeah, let's, right? let's talk more about it okay let's, let's get uh, deep into it yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know there are, there are all these different realities that are happening at the same time um in the sense of how my perception of the world is is kind of uh you know it's all of my experience from when i was a child up until now and it's um all of the experience that i have relating to society and the way that i perceive that information um and so you know we've got shared realities that we've all somewhat agreed upon uh the example that i always use is the streets the road stop signs um, we all have decided that putting up a, a red stop sign means that when we get to it we're going to stop and we collectively decide together that we're going to do that because of the fact that uh, it's going to make it safer for us to do this thing that we're all agreeing is dangerous driving these big you know vehicles that can crash into each other um, so you know not everybody stops at a stop sign some people run them and that's because they <laughs> You can. You can run some stop signs. Mm -hmm. You don't have to. It doesn't actually make you stop. But we collectively have bought into the reality that th that we've created of this is how it works. Everybody's going to function this way. And so something as simple as a stop sign, we can all get on board pretty easily with. The majority of us will function and, and will, you know, do things that way. Um, but when we you start to zoom out, things get to, you know, get to become different little pools of you know pockets of reality that exist for some people and not for everyone else. So um, you know entrepreneurship and and startup land <laughs> kind of fits into it up one of those pockets. There's a lot of you know appeal around it now. There's a lot of people looking at it from the outside saying like oh you know we've got a TV show now. Uh, you know, uh, and there's it's pretty accurate though. And there's reality <laughs> television shows about it too. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, accurate. No, it is. But from an outside person's perspective, it's not even that it's as accurate as it is entertaining and like this look into this world that a reality that you're not normally participating in. Um, and so kind of understanding that it's, it's for me to be able to kind of jump into different spaces and, you know, in cosmetics, for example, like I, I, you know, wear almost no makeup. I had not uh, didn't have a ton of interest in it, but saw this space and opportunity and thought, okay, well, let me educate myself and actually see if it's a good idea. So kind of jump into it. And there's a whole world, you know, like just going online and just like watching YouTube video after YouTube video to try to understand like this network of, um, you know, nail artists and, and like what they've created together in this entire like fascinating reality of what they've made and, and what, can be offered that supports that, um, you know, that doesn't exist right now. And so th that to me is the, the fun part, I think, essentially of, of jumping like from reality to reality, um, is that there's, there's so many spaces that people have built together. So there's so many like business opportunities and ideas within those spaces based on what people actually want and need. It's just a matter of, for me, of like just going and participating in them. So how do you think those, um, how do you think those realities get created? You know, is it, is it, you know, a leader or an entrepreneur or somebody who comes in and creates those? And is it like a conscious creation? Like, you know, it, does somebody sit down and say, I need to be able to, you know, do X. So they form a reality and, and sell people on joining into that reality. How, how do you think that that? I think it's the opposite with successful things. I think that I think the most successful businesses have come from finding, oh, there's this space and there's this little pocket right here of something that isn't happening that we can fill that, you know, and it all, everything comes down to human emotion. Right. And so um, it's, it's essentially all of these 
feelings that we're trying to solve for or experiences that we're trying to solve for and whatever products or businesses and and tools that we create, um, if it solves some sort of, uh, dilemma in somebody's existence and like the their human experience with it um you know then i think that that you have an opportunity to uh to make a successful business in that space but i i don't think that it happens the other way around i don't think as frequently it's oh here's my great idea that only i see as a thing that should exist in the world everybody come over to my side and now participate with me it's more of there's all of these creative, everybody is an insanely creative person, even if they don't think they are like their mind is continuously creating their reality and functioning with the world around them. And so when people start to make things together, like just using nail art as an example, um, you know, in the, I believe in the eighties, maybe even earlier, um, in different communities, women were starting, um, starting to do nail art with each other. And that was almost like, uh, it was a form of expression that was unique to them. And since then, if you watch how it's trickled out and how it went mainstream in like 2010 <laughs> to 12, and then, you know, 13, 2013, um, and then now it's gone backwards again. Like you, you're seeing like the effect of people kind of creating this space and then businesses are coming out of those spaces, but they, they aren't starting necessarily before people have a desire or want for these things. And then, I mean, do you think the want is, is it just, is it like an organic thing that just kind of occurs within communities of people? Um, like, I'm just trying to like think about like how that thing comes, you know, how, how that comes along, you know, and I don't know the answer. I, I'm just, you know, saying like, maybe we should think about that. Like, how does, how does yeah. that, what does that look like? Is it, is it that, you know, the, the, the other realities, uh, kind of bump up against, you know, something and it kind of create a new pocket? Uh, is it, you know, uh, a group of people who think a specific way? Is it, you know, modification of existing realities and, and people kind of like defecting from those realities to create a new one? Right. Yeah, it, I mean, might, I just, it might be all of those things at yeah. the same exact time, right? Yeah. Like the, it just depends on sort of like what it, you know, what it is and that's being created or thought of. Uh, I, I don't think that any idea is by itself super unique because we've already, there's already, you know, a million other people thinking about the same thing you're thinking about at any given time. <laughs> It's just the way that it's executed and the way that it's presented and the timing of how it's pushed into like whatever world that it's pushed into. Um, you know, that's what all of those factors play come to, you know, come into play. Um, but, you know, I don't know, with like with physical product creation, for example, of like uh, just like nail the nail wraps. So I'll just keep going back to, <laughs> to that as an example for now. Um you know, for the space that I came up with working on those was from this already exists, but in the wrong way. And, and, and it's targeting this other audience and not hitting this huge space of where the nail art world re- really is. So nail wraps existed. They were sold in CVS, but the designs were made for young girls, 13 year olds, like the patterns that were on them were not the styles or the creativity that was coming out of the nail art industry um, and, and that community and that reality. Uh, and so I said, oh, well, this would this could be a tool for them to use and, and would they be interested? And, and uh, there are these amazing nail artists that are creating these designs and they, you know, to get your nails painted by someone like uh, Brittany Tokyo, who was one of our nail artists that designed nail wraps, um, you know, it'd be like $300 a session. And so there's lots of people all over the country that follow her on Instagram that love her work, but don't have the opportunity to actually experience it with her. And this is like a way for her artwork to spread further than she physically would be able to do on her own. And so uh, there's, it's almost just like a combining of realities and things that exist already in a specific order to make it, uh, you know, make some sort of new product now that is something that is actually desirable by, by that community. That's awesome. And then, so how do you, how do you, how do you come up with these mashups? You know, how do you like think through this? I mean, you kind of talked about, 
um, how you kind of just like saw some angles and, you know, is there like a, you know, lightning strike moment for you or is it like an evolution where you kind of like kind of start to pull, a, you know, a thread and then, you know, next thing you know, you're like at some big opportunity or whatever. Yeah. Uh, how, how does that work for you? Um, I think that it has to do with listening, uh, like just to pull back even further. It has to do with like um, trying to be conscious and pay attention to everything that's happening around me and, and in other people's worlds and listening. Um, a lot of times the biggest issue of kind of being stuck in your own one space in reality is that you aren't actually understanding what other people are doing, wanting, you know, wanting to see in the world creating themselves. Um, because if you're too focused in your little pocket or of your world, uh, you're not participating in all these other spaces that really exist. And, and that's actually something that I've thought about a lot as an approach, the way that I need to think about any, you know, any industry and any business that I might start in the future. Um, instead of, coming in as this I'm a tech person that's from startup land and I'm going to come in and solve all the problems of this industry because it's you know I can disrupt this industry if I come in with my tech um, instead of thinking about it that way uh, and, and, and thinking about it from this perspective of the way that a startup even works right so it's oh I come up with this great idea I pitch it I raise money for it I take that money and I build it and I have to continuously prove how it's going to grow into this massive you know billion plus dollars it's past a billion now what is it it's a trillion dollar exit <laughs> unicorn a rainbow unicorn or whatever 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 we're calling it now um, if I'm thinking that way and if that's what I'm trying to do I'm playing that game and I'm not actually playing or participating in the game or the reality of the company um, that I could be creating that actually solves the solutions within the space. So sometimes that works, that model and method could work um, kind of blindly, you know, just like charging forward with a good idea, because if it's good enough and the timing's right and everything kind of aligns, you can make it there, you know, but uh a lot of times I think the, the core of the core of making good businesses, if we stopped focusing so much on it having to work that way, there's all these other solutions and new ideas that can come up and new ways of even funding things and that don't have to follow that one track, right? Um, and, and essentially there's the possibility of building small businesses that make a lot of sense and that can be run that way. And, you know, there's all of these old... Um, and they're not even old, but like older business growth methods and things that we're just not even participating in necessarily as much when we are focused too much on venture capital and we're focused too much on growth in this way and seeing, you know, uh, seeing everything kind of follow the path that we think it needs to be to be successful. And then how much of that, like th those realities, what do you think that stuff comes from? You know, those, those ideas and those, like the current zeitgeist when it comes to like company building it's it's all kind of just like a bubble bubble effect of when you you get in and you're part of a club and you're part of the space that you're participating in um and sort of everybody's telling each other this is what you know we're, we're getting feedback and we're growing from each other and so if we're only interacting with each other and just in you know this this group of people that we're kind of you know um participating in i think that the way that we perceive the world is kind of, you know, we've like filters based on that information um, versus if we kind of expand who we're spending our time with, where we're spending our time, um, we start to disconnect from being in just one space in one bubble and we can start to see like the different worlds that are existing at the same time for everyone. Yeah, it almost sounds like you people we, we should be actively trying to do that based yeah. on like what you're saying because if if we're not then we uh, could have a tendency to get to get trapped into what's working for our current reality whereas what you're saying is what's more important is finding a pocket out there and then being able to service that uh you know that that group of people in the way they see the world right right and I you can't do that if you're thinking in terms of like you know Venture funding, content Startup. marketing, yeah. you know, 
If yeah. you even think of it like it's a startup, yeah. right? Once we start to label and we think, and if you're already inside of this world, I mean, there's so many creative, talented, smart, capable entrepreneurs that are participating and pushing in like this startup space that are so focused on learning. What do you have to do to have a successful startup? What do you, what do I have to do to raise venture capital? What are the things that I have to do to do this? And, and the energy and focus drives towards having a successful startup versus which could map correctly, but it doesn't necessarily map. Like, so there's a lot of really capable people that if you were to take them kind of out of that mindset and say, you know what, let me just take you over here. You're interested in this area or this is what you want to start. Okay. Well, let's take you away from that world for a second startup world. And let's put you into like a, the formal side of it even. And you can see the flaws in that. And now let's take you out of the formal side of it. Um, like, let's say it's education. Uh, there's, Education has so much red tape and, and there's so many so many elements of it that are difficult. So we have all of the potential in the world to, with these people that are creative, have energy that want to, to drive change. We have so much potential in these people to totally, you know, improve education. But if you're trying to improve education from over here um, and you aren't, you know, in, in just startup focused, uh, you, you won't necessarily do an, a better job than the people that are in, you know, red tape education land that are focused on the limitations potentially that they have that they understand, right? Mm -hmm. But you might be able to do a much, much better job of actually solving real problems that exist in education if you don't stay in one bubble, if you don't stay focused and, and surrounding yourself with people that are in either startup or red tape education land, right? And you, you kind of go to all of these different experiences. You put yourself in, in the actual space for a while. You, you go and actually stay, you learn everything that you can from, from actual teachers. You, you know, and, and I know that a lot of good entrepreneurs do this to a degree, but I'm just saying if we can remove ourselves from the bubble a little bit more, um, and change our expectation of, of what's the end goal too. Um, if we're all driving for the fame and we're all driving for these billion dollar unicorn, trillion dollar unicorn exits, um, we're not really looking to improve or change anything necessarily, right? We're playing that game. Uh, we're signing up to play startup game. If you are actually motivated to make change you don't necessarily have to participate in that game to do it and you know it's really funny because if you talk to i think most entrepreneurs who are you know active in the community even you know successful ones they will talk in terms of change right yeah how they want it how they're trying to create change and change the world and all these things um you know my, my belief that a lot of that is just kind of like you know uh rhetoric that's designed to 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 to, uh, to change people's uh, perception of whatever they're working on and make people think you know that think on a larger level right. which I guess has its place um, but you know one of the things that I always struggle with is is like how do you how do you how do you operate within that construct if you need to right right and maybe that's something that we can we can talk a little bit about is you know how how do you if if the current game is that venture game, but you see a different, you know, world and you, and, and you, and you see how, you know, maybe that's flawed or whatever. How do you operate, you know, in that game where you maybe, maybe don't, maybe, maybe right. you play your own game, right? I right. Mean, how, how, do, how does that work? Do you think? Well, it depends on ultimately the goals and what you actually need to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. Right. So if you see over here in this world, say it's education again, you want to change something in education, you need funding, right? So then you think, okay, in order to change this, I need funding because I'm trying to change it at this massive scale. So therefore I need to either go through uh, grant money, I need to become a nonprofit, or I need to go towards VC and turn this into, you know, show them how this is a, a business that can, you know, exit at this or the business that can grow to this scale. Um, what ends up happening is you focus so much on this bigger picture of what something needs to be in order for you to make effective change. So if your goal is ultimately to make 
effective, you know, big sweeping change in education, uh, the best way to actually do that is to start by all of the little steps that it takes to do it. And it doesn't necessarily cost or it doesn't necessarily need to have a huge, you know, you don't need to raise a lot of money necessarily to get going to really find the thing that's going to solve the initial first problem. And there are a lot of good businesses that can come out of, of focusing on this first, the smaller issues, where if you build something successful that solves this first part, you may not need to raise, you know, three, four million dollars to do that. You can probably hop in there and, and get things done for a lot less. And, and essentially, if you're, you know, focused on educating yourself so that you're capable of solving that if it's tech then make sure you know how to code and design make sure you know how to to you know build a successful product focus on yourself so that you can then implement your own capabilities in that space and you can build a small business that raise, that makes enough money for you to be able to keep pushing forward once you find the thing because now you're in it and you understand it once you find the thing that you really see opportunity to change you don't have to go chase after venture capital money. You just have to find the person that maps with that appropriately. So who who is interested in the space? Who is the person that that can help this move forward? And and it's it's like little baby steps at a time versus thinking that I'm going to disrupt education and I need to raise four million dollars right now in order to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, actually, uh, we and we talked about this kind of offline, but. To kind of go along with that, uh, just thinking about like how the election played out, right? Yeah. Where Trump didn't spend nearly as much as his competitors spent uh, and was still able to be successful, I think, as a result of executing well along kind of what you're talking about. Like right. small steps within his reality, his concept of reality, which, you know, is what it is. <laughs> uh, but, you know, a lot of people share that reality with them and, and we're, and we're, you know, willing to jump on board and, and take that ride, you know? Right. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I know, I know, I know we talked about the election and, and reality and fake news and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and I'd love to kind of just hear a thought about, you know, what fake news is and, uh, those kind of things. Oh yeah, no. The concept of fake news is fascinating um, because, in in part, I actually think that what Donald Trump is trying to express, and you know, I'm I'm most definitely not on the guy's side, but just to, just to explain the idea, <laughs> got to put that out there. Yeah, I just want to throw <laughs> that out there. I have no association, no excitement around it. Uh, pretty scared, actually. It's going to be fun. Um, Fake news, essentially, what he's trying to say is that the way that everything is being, like the way that it's being spun and the way that people are reporting it is with bias and with with their own intention, which is kind of true across the board. Because when you try to put any information out that's not biased, you're forgetting the fact that every single person is human and we're expressing <laughs> all of these ideas the best we can you know, across the board, but in order to, to write, you know, to put out news that's just completely not, you know, like non-biased is almost impossible. So when he's saying fake news, he's doing, as he always does, a terrible job of actually, I think, expressing what he's intending. And they're grabbing that and, and using it beautifully back against him for everyone else because everyone else is, you know, essentially... Um, participating in that and saying like oh no this is not fake news clearly he's crazy or clearly he you know he's just out of it he's not he's not he doesn't understand the world and and the way that it is um but fake news in general is kind of a funny thing because we are definitely in a really interesting time when it comes to information uh the internet is something that i mean i'm so grateful that it that we have the internet obviously but uh what that's done for the country and for the world as far as connecting us and bringing ideas forward um you know it's been huge but what it's also done is open up uh open up reality to the point of what you know what is true anymore what is real what is fact at this point <laughs> and, yeah and what is it like what you know, is it it's like you, yeah at, at that point like Ideally, fact is something that's objective that most people agree on, but 
if most people agree something that is false is true, it doesn't necessarily. Does that, does that mean it? I, it's kind of right. a weird thing, and I, sometimes I, I kind of go back and forth and oscillate uh, on just thinking or, or in terms of that. Like if the whole world, you know, at one point everybody thought the world was flat. Right. Did that mean the world was flat? I mean, it, it wasn't objectively, but within the, the entire <laughs> mental construct of everything, it yeah. did, right? Yeah. So what's what's really truth if truth is something that can be can, – that can change over time? You know, like the way we understand reality now right. or even in these little micro pockets of reality, the way, the way people understand their reality uh, could be fundamentally flawed, you know, uh, just because they don't have right. the – tools or instruments to measure those things or whatever they're right. being. And so. I, I think inherently all of it is because we are making this up together. <laughs> so there's no one thing. And we kind of collectively, humanity has been always somewhat heading in the direction while simultaneously heading in the opposite direction. So we, we have this one direction of, oh no, humans, you know, we're loving and we would, and we have certain you know, uh, morals that we would stand up to. And religion, I think, did a great job of actually helping guide humans with with a set of morals that we could structure and follow for a long time, right? So being able to say, okay, well, um, murder is bad, okay? We've collectively, the world has decided this concept of murder is bad, but there are some times that we've all agreed that murder is okay. Yeah. So we've collectively said in war, we're, we're murdering for it's not murder. It's a, you know, it's we're war. fighting. It's, it's war. We're fighting. Combatants. Right. Yeah. So it's enemy. But the, yeah. the reality is we're all humans. We're killing each other. But we're not allowed to kill each other in so many different situations. But in this situation, not only were you allowed to do it, but we're going to fund it with our taxpayers' money, regardless of whether you want to or not. Right. So all of these realities have always been the way the world works has always been a collective agreement of everybody kind of staying on the same page. And yeah, we've gone off. We're in different pages. But everyone relatively trying to stay on the same page is what the what does it mean to be alive? What are we doing here? And uh and how do, how do you be a human? Like right? how how do I function as a human in my day-to-day life? So now because of the fact that we have so much more we have the ability to connect to people on our computers and, and on our technology at this point so quickly. We have the ability to share different viewpoints. Individual people can share their view in a way that they never used to be able to. It starts to get a little bit messier because when you used to hear from the top down collectively, this is what America means, everyone kind of thought that must be what everybody thinks America is, mm-hmm. right? So we see it and we say, okay, um, I'm an American. That means I'm this, this, and this, and this is how I'm going to function, right? Like we we actually did a really great job, I think, of building um, building up structure in society. We said, okay, here's what you do: you uh, go through school. After school, you get married. You buy a house with a white picket fence. You have 2.5 children. You work a good, decent job. You feel satisfied that you did that. Then you retire, right? We had a path, and then if you wanted to, you also had the opportunity to rebel as much as you wanted to. So you could say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get married and have kids. I'm going to go rebel against this. But in in order to even have the opportunity to rebel, you need some kind of structure. So (laughs) we had uh, this beautiful kind of structure to give to everybody. So if you want to stay in it, you have it and it's safe. You can do this. This is what life means. If you want to rebel against it, you have something to counter. You you know, it's like binary decision. It's easy to understand. I'm rebelling against that. That means anything. I can do anything, but I'm not doing that. So you're still on a path even if you're rebelling. Oh, of course. Yeah. You're just on the rebellion path, right? You're cho- <laughs> yeah. And as a society, we can we were able to relatively keep structure. And then along comes the internet and the ability to see all of these different, like, smaller realities that people are participating in. So a, a kid in the middle of the country now uh, can go online and watch a video of somebody dancing uh you know, halfway across the world, a dance that he's never seen. And he can go, I want to be a dancer. And he can be in a small town where that would have never, ever been a thing that would come into his mind as a, a participation of reality he can he can be in. He would just think, uh, oh, I'm going to do the things that we do in this town, right? <laughs> this is, And I, maybe I'll move away from this town or travel. But for the most part, 
this is what the world is. This is what America is. And, and this is who we are as humans. And so we've started to lose structure because the individual voice is starting to get, you know, louder. And, and I think that that has a lot to do with why Trump is even president. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, there's all these different realities that are happening. And some of us are just like, Oh, how, how could that have even happened? Well, there's, whole chunk of the country that thinks a specific way that still exists and, and even though we were not representing them or showing them they're there and they're able to kind of show that voice now unfortunately so so what do you think that means for you know for the future you know in, in a world where uh, your automation is starting to you know mirror its ugly head or beautiful head depending on which which side, which, <laughs> which side of the ownership spectrum you stand on with, with regard to the automation um and like this, this kind of fractured and fragmented world of multiple realities, you know, where, where no single track is the clear, you know, one track that you should follow the, you know, the American dream now right. is a, you know, massive pile of different thoughts and ideas. How does one navigate that? You know, and, and in the future, are people going to grow up without direction because they don't maybe don't. You know, they don't have work like they used to because they're getting some kind of government subsidy or something. Like, what, so, like, what, right. what do you think the future looks like? Yeah. Uh, if, if this continues. Right. It, I think it, um, it's definitely going to be interesting and complicated. Uh, what, what I think happens is with each generation, when they raise their children, they teach them essentially up to where they, you know, where they are, what, what they receive, what they've learned up to that point. And they try to say, okay, uh, this is your starting point, essentially. And that next generation takes it a little further. So like my parents' generation, they raised my generation with the idea that we can be anything we want, right? So we were given this kind of open door. And so now a lot of us are struggling with, well, what do we do if we can be anything we want? Mm -hmm. You know, my, my mom had the option of being a secretary, a flight attendant, or a teacher. And she did two of those in her life. She was a flight attendant and a teacher. And that was just from when she graduated college those were that's kind of the direction they they had her in right so now we can be anything we want so we have that open opportunity it's gonna what's gonna happen in the future depends on what we teach our children what the world means what what they can do what you know what opportunities are available to them and then when it comes to the automation side of things what we have to do i think and what's really important for people to be focusing and working on is uh, finding solutions for our economy that are not based on the current way we function with jobs because they, they don't exist. They don't exist now. They're, in 10 years, our programmers are programming themselves out of jobs themselves. So there's, there's always going to be new things to work on, but the majority of people will not have to work. They already don't have to work if we just built a better system. Uh, the trickiest thing, though, is, you know, like I was saying before with the you know, the, the binary, the decisions is in order to see what could be a better option now than where we are, we kind of had to play through what we've done, right? So it's a matter of what do we do next? Like, how do we implement moving forward? Can we work on, on restructuring our economy to, to actually be based on like resources and, and not depleting our planet? Or what, what is it that what, what do we focus on? You know, do companies in the future, instead of saying, well, next year or by this quarter, we have to be, we have to make this much more money. What if everybody kind of caps out at a certain amount of money that they make and they say, all right, now, you know, this is me dreaming, obviously. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but okay, after this yeah. amount of money, then it's who can actually do better for the world. And, and we're racing towards companies making a specific amount of money and then being able to go to these next levels. And we, we idealize companies that are capable of converting, you know, the energy that they use into being completely, you know, like solar energy or something, whatever, right? So it's like, we have to shift the way that we are focused. Money is absolutely not valuable when you, at the end of the day, because we're all going to die. What is valuable is time and life. And we are losing time because we're destroying the planet and we're killing each other. You know, that's actually interesting. Um, I think, so you mentioned that there are some companies who are kind of trying to transcend profit. It's almost like it sounds like, 
you know, the, the, the typical uh, corporate archetype is profit. Like, you know, right. you, you make a company to, to be profitable and to generate value and drive value for shareholders, right? Um, but then you, it's weird. And I, it's funny. I always talk about Elon Musk, but I kind of feel like we idolize, at least, at least in the tech community, we idolize his businesses because they're about something larger, you know, or maybe that's his way of generating profit. There's no way to know what's actually swimming around right. and, and the head there and, you know, whatever. Uh, but I, I think he's been extremely successful at kind of pushing us to like think at that next level, you know, with, with Tesla, uh, you know, electric cars, nobody really gave a shit about electric cars until, right. you know, Tesla came back around or came along uh, and, and made them, you know, something again. Uh, they were like something back in the 80s and early 90s. And then it was kind of like, okay, that's not possible, et cetera. Solar City is another thing where it's kind of like, oh, solar, you know, we have this nuclear reactor in the sky, but it's too expensive and the, the panels are inefficient. So he came up with some way of making that work. And uh, and then, you know, he's obviously rocking, la- launching rockets in the space as well. So, uh, you know, he's really kind of helping, like forcing us to think uh, at that next level. Uh, and my question for you is, are there... Are there things that 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 entrepreneurs can do to to frame and shape their businesses with that kind of mission? Do you think? Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's super popular yeah. and sexy right now. So <laughs> even if you didn't even intend to really do all of it, like it's still we. I think that we're doing a good job collectively of shifting towards that as a priority we're we're spreading that message that we actually need new businesses and and you know we need large companies that are actually going to focus on these things and these priorities and, and there and we can see that in our advertisements like when with uh i mean that terrible pepsi a pepsi ad their their intention is something that they think is positive, mapping <laughs> mapping themselves and the idea to this thing that they see, right? They're absolutely failed. They absolutely failed at it. Um, and also, you can't you can't take actual <laughs> you can you can't take that and convert that into an ad. You just can't. You're, you're cheapening it massively, and you're destroying the 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 purpose of it. But the fact that they even thought about that as an idea shows that they understand that this younger generation and, and the you know everybody where we are now we need to head in that direction so they're trying to grab they're trying to participate in it the worst way possible but they're conscious of it they're not there yet like those companies aren't there yet they're not going to change they haven't changed the way that they're structuring things but they they're aware which is the first step and I think the younger generations and the companies that come from younger generations are going to be pushing us in that direction. But how much of that do you think is, is, is marketing versus, and this is maybe just cynical Jimmy talking, but how much do you think, how much of that do you think is marketing versus, you know, like true uh, oh. need and want to like try to transcend, you know? Oh, 100% marketing. <laughs> it's 100%. I, there's nothing about that was, was Pepsi trying to transcend and grow, right? Yeah. But the fact that they are conscious of the fact that oh we should market to we see this right it's the first step it's just consciousness is the first step so they're not aware that it's where they should go yet or what they should be doing genuinely and they and they're not there and and i honestly think a lot of it has to do with older people dying and younger people moving up in power Uh, i really think that the world changes and i think we're heading in a positive direction because every new generation is that much faster and quicker uh, because of the resources and the education that their parents generation were able to to give to them Uh, i mean we we really don't all need to be working in the future and what has to happen is the people that are capable of creating new things need to give space for everybody to come up with them and that's something we're not doing very well right now but i think the younger younger generation is more conscious of that and inclusive you think you think that's a uh, is, is it like a uh, is it like a moral choice that people make or is it is it something like almost out of self-interest that they realize that you know in the future people will realize they you know they need they need other people to buy their stuff therefore they need to make sure other people are around kind of thing you right know? Um, I, yeah. I think all of I think pretty much everything is self-interest, but I don't think that necessarily is bad. Um, I think the way that humans work 
as a core is from that space. Um, but instead of looking at it or assuming that that means that people are evil and selfish and, and using the word selfish in a bad way, if we think of it from the sense of if I am doing this for myself, it most likely will benefit other people because I'm doing this thing to improve my life and there's other people's lives that will be improved along with that. So the issue a lot of times is when you think that you're doing something for other people and you're, you're creating this, um, this space where you're, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm contributing to the world and I'm doing this for other people. Um, you're kind of denying the selfishness, the selfish factor of why you're doing the things you're doing. Uh, and, but I think if we can get over the idea that being selfish is bad as a starting point, what we recognize is what I do that makes me happy will contribute more to the world than if I'm doing things that, that don't. And that's if everybody's functioning that way, then we can, right? Because there are people that want to, to build technology that helps, you know, that improves our, our, um, our hospitals, our education system, like, because they genuinely are, are passionate and interested. And if we don't have those people focused in those areas, or we don't give them the ability to do what they really, you know, are, are driven to do, then we maybe have that person doing a nine to five working in something that they're making a lot of money doing, but not really passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so for selfish reasons, for the whole world, for selfish reasons, we should have people working on and focusing on the things that, that they really like. And there's always the argument that, okay, so if not everybody has to work a nine to five concept, right? Won't a ton of people just sit around and play video games all day? <laughs> Right, this is the question. Maybe. And my thought is why not let them? Why not just what like because there will still be people in this world that are driven to create things that solve the problems for everyone else. And as long as we're not creating the space where we have like um you know, this stepping on each other to get up, and there's no getting up, there's just reward in being the person that you want to be and then accomplishing the things that you want to accomplish and resources to do that. Uh, I think that there is the potential to, to take care of the whole planet. I mean, we already have enough food to feed everyone and we don't. I mean, it's actually interesting what you said there. The, so it's, um, I'm, I'm going to maybe rephrase it and screw it up. And if, if it's wrong, let me know. But it's almost like you're saying that, you know, in, in a world where, where automation becomes more interesting and or sorry more uh more more the norm and more people or less people have to actually work because you know we'll have systems and computers do pretty much everything more people will be free to work on the things that they like so right. it's almost like that guy who's working the nine the corporate nine to five like you said that was miserable and hated his job but you know just had to do it because you had to pay for that mortgage and stuff like that it's like the automation will unlock that person to now do something really spectacular and special. And there will be, you know, maybe the other five people will play video games and watch ESPN all day. But, you know, that one guy may create the next whatever that thing may be, which I is really interesting. I still think that people will make ESPN and people will make, <laughs> like, even if they don't have to, because... Uh, because the people that create the best things that we have are doing it from a space of just desire and passion to create. And, and I think there are a lot of people that are untapped potential that are capable of that, that are just don't have the ability, the resources didn't come from the background, right? A lot of it comes from where did you start? Like, yes, you can start kind of lower than someone else in the sense of like, uh, like uh, financially your family, like you can, you can start with more challenging, um, more challenges up front, right? If you're not, for example, a, a white male that came from a wealthy family, we take everybody else <laughs> and we put them all on different levels of difficult starting points, right? Yes, you can keep, you can come from wherever and come up and work really hard to get to a certain place, but the reality is that it's a lot longer of a road and a lot harder of a path because you have a lot more discrimination. You have a lot, you have a lot working against you, and you have to, you have a lot of an element of luck that has to play in, into a lot of things. Um, but if you are born into a situation where you have the network almost automatically, you, your dad's friends invest in your first company like it's nothing because they have the ability to do that. 
you can start a company when you're a kid. You first, you know, you're like a teenager and you start your first thing, right? And you're just even aware that that's a possibility that what your passion is, what the thing you are interested in can convert and turn into something that you put into the world, right? There's so many people that don't have that potential because they are learning that the world is the reality that they're in and what they learn from from that space is that the world is hard and that making money is difficult and that um, people will be racist or sexist and all of these things, which they will be. <laughs> it will happen because that reality exists and it's, it's, uh, it's an unfortunate space that we're still functioning in. But if you take that same kid and you take that kid out of those circumstances um, you know, you can't necessarily say, okay, well, you're not going to be a girl anymore. You go be a white male now and, uh, from a wealthy family. You can't change all of the circumstances. But if you even take that same child and you put that child in a in an environment that gives that child more resources from the beginning, better education, money to, to fund whatever it is that they're they're working on to grow through, right? If they have that, that at least at minimum, those same situations the potential of that kid to be able to create things is so much higher. And, and in the future, I don't think we have jobs. I think we need creators. It's interesting. I mean, it's something we almost even see like in a way now, right? Like in the, you know, like the, the uh, artisanal like bread and, you know, like that kind yeah. of stuff. Like, you know, it, it, how is it that there's a guy in Brooklyn who makes like, you know, special cheese in his, you know, his basement or something. It's such a weird concept when, you know, you go to go to the supermarket and you get Sargento cheese and it's like, you know, it'd be, you know, 30% cheaper than this guy's cheese, you know? Right. So, I mean, it, it kind of exists now where things are more bespoke and right. uh, more creative and more uh, oriented towards those like packets of reality that you talked about. Um, okay, cool. So I just want to shift gears for a second um, and just ask you like, you know, what, you know, do you have a, like a favorite book or anything? Favorite book? I can say right now I have a favorite um, app that I'm using to get information from books faster than reading them. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what is this? Um, there's an app, I think they, they're in Germany, called Blinkist. Mm -hmm. um, and what they do is they sum up books into what they call blinks instead of chapters. So they'll take the chapter and some the most important kind of paragraph of information that you get from that that chapter sum it up and put these all together so on my drive you know to playa vista i can listen to two books <laughs> it's, it's audio too yeah it's audio wow. and then it's yeah it's beautiful it's <laughs> such a fun idea um <laughs> after a while you you start to recognize wow all of these you know entrepreneur books all of these uh, you know, self-help books or whatever, like, or all these yeah. like specific like tech or whatever industry you're in, like all these books actually are saying the exact same thing. Yeah. When you, when you get them in such a bite size, you know, amount, you're actually able to compare, you know, I'll go through like 30 books and go, wow. Okay. So what did I really get from all of these? Like, okay, this part I like this part I like. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, it's like, you gotta be like uh, you know, like the old uh, the old gold uh, river gold sifter guys, yeah, where you're yeah. like, that's kind of what reading I feel like is. You end up like just having to like sift through to try to find you know those nuggets of gold, and unfortunately you have to like sift through a 200 page book. So that's really interesting that those right. guys exist. Yeah, it, it's really cool. I'm enjoying it, and you know I've taken a little break in the last week because I was I was like okay. I think I've gone through enough. I'm gonna wait till they add some more, but they're constantly adding new books to it. Is it like a monthly? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, what do you wish you knew 10 years ago? Nothing. Nothing at all? No. If you go back to I don't think 10 years ago even really exists. I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> Let me explain a little bit. Um, where I was 10 years ago versus now is not a place that I I think that there's any information that, that I have now was is worth bringing back um i mean i can i could say like uh what was it when, when was it that warren buffett did like the i'll give you a billion dollars or something if you guess what the march was it march madness or is there some he did some kind of bet 
I didn't um, hear about this. Oh yeah, this was a while ago. I can't remember when it happened exactly. He did some kind of bet if you exa- if you guess the brackets perfectly, that he'd give you some large amount <laughs> of money. That just like, and so th- yeah. that's kind of like a silly answer that I'd say. I was like, cool. I would say I want to know what the outcome is, and then <laughs> let me hop back and be ready to <laughs> tell myself. Like, okay, tell it, yeah. yeah. Because that'd be cool to just have that much money for no reason. Um, but no, I don't. I don't really think that I'd take anything back because I don't. I think that pre- the present moment is the only thing that I have that really exists. The past is a collection of my memories of little bits of it, but it's almost impossible for me to even say like, let me take this knowledge back to that moment. Um, because I'm not the same person that I was. I'm continuously growing in every moment that I'm in. So you're saying basically like the information almost would be useless to you back yeah. then because it only helps you within the context of right, right now, which is really interesting and it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. You know, it, um, like have you, and this is such a silly way of explaining it, but like, have you ever listened to a, like a love song before? Have you ever been heartbroken? Of course. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So have you listened to a love song before you ever experienced heartbreak and thought, oh, this is sad, this is cute, I like this song. And then after you experience, you hear that song or other songs that are about heartbreak and you feel it so much differently, like you understand it. Or, you know, someone tells you a quote or says something to you and you're like, oh yeah, I I get it, I get what you're saying. And then later in life, you're like, oh, yeah, that's need, what that means. Yeah, you need that. You need the context. To yeah, like there's. Truly understand. It's true. Actually. You tell your your ten yeah. ten years ago. You tell yourself anything, and it doesn't necessarily translate. Now, if I can take who I am right now and rewind ten years and just <laughs> yeah. be exactly the same person, the same person, I would do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> That'd be fun. But I mean, I can pretty much do that that's, right now anyway. I'm gonna pretend yeah. it's ten years ago. <laughs> it doesn't make a difference. It's just now. Okay, cool. Um, and then how can people find you online or, you know, how people can uh, keep track of you? Or my, do you want them to? Yeah, <laughs> they, sure. Um, I'm All of my handles pretty much everywhere is just C.L. Kent. Okay. Instagram, yeah. Facebook, all that stuff. Yeah, cool. across the board. And then um, scratches, go scratch it. <laughs> cool. Go scratch go it. Go scratch it. Yeah. All right, cool. Thank you for uh, talking with us today. That was fun. Appreciate it. Sweet.